we established in last month's episode that Hold we, on a minute. We can't just we can't just start it like that. Yeah, we haven't started an episode like that in a long time. We have to be no. doing something daft. We have to be kind of casually acting like we're talking without Oh, we were recording. And then, and then in over the top all of a sudden so, comes the, there you go. Yeah, okay. We established in Sorry, last organic. month's <laughs> episode that we on in the lamplight associate February with St. Bridges Day, Pancake Tuesday, the Super Bowl, the Sligo Comedy Festival. And Valentine's Day. Yeah. Groundbreaking research, I know. <laughs> but lads, what about March? What yearly event that happens in March do we really have to cover today? I'll give you a hint. It's not St. Patrick's Day. Hmm. What happens in March every year? Uh, Easter. Well, no, that could no, be... That's April, that isn't could it? That can be in either or, yeah. It can be March or April. Mm. What are the, the just, hour changes? Let's do a podcast about the hour changes. <laughs> Everyone just being wrecked. I actually have a lot to say about that. Oh dear! I, I think it's the biggest load of shite. Oh, it's an awful load of shite. It's a load of shite. Yeah, we need to stop doing that. We need to get that changed. Yeah, yeah. Do we have that power? Uh, not, yet. Some, <laughs> not yet. I make some calls. Anything else? That's March. Come on. What's your, what's your associate with March? Fuck all. What are the Ides of March? The Ides of March. That is like a, a reference to Roman times, as far as I know. It's like a curse. Okay. Is my Do we celebrate that. that? The Ides of March, the podcast on the Ides of March. Yeah, look, at least you're coming up with something, Rory, unlike <laughs> some other people here. But well, we are yeah. slowly establishing that I am the more creative of the Luke Rory duo. Yeah. Well. No, we're not establishing that at all. <laughs> That's nowhere near established. Well, what do you got for March then, Luke? What do I got for March? What happens in March every year? Oscars. The Oscars. <laughs> Ah, oh, Luke. Well done, Luke. Rory, now you really should have gone. I'm after making a tit of you, haven't I? Well, look, it was scripted. I hate to let the people know, but like we, we scripted that in to make Luke look clever. <laughs> Luke, well done. The Oscars is the correct answer. And so we couldn't, in all good conscience, let March slip away without talking to an Oscar nominee. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we just couldn't, lads. So Rory and I took the first ever in the lamplight road trip yesterday to Athenry to talk to brothers Paul and John Murphy. John being the man who edited the Irish Oscar-nominated film on Colleen Kewen, and Paul being the man who, among other things, managed to put a short documentary together 10 years ago about my first piano, despite the somewhat underwhelming vocal performance from yours truly. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I went to secondary school at the age of 12 or 13 and hating the piano. I remember being asked to do grades, the traditional way of, of learning and kicking up against it and really just hating it. As I grew older, I sort of realised I could pick up stuff by ear. And that, accompanied with having a more sympathetic music teacher later on in secondary school, made it a far more interesting and relevant, I guess, pastime for me. I'm Kieran Quinn and I am on the show with um, this could be my big break and the cameraman is here and I'm going to keep everything really low and I'm a very serious like piano man. Like, oh, <laughs> just oh, died. I can't get over it. Yeah. a minute. No, I, I, think you're, I think you sound very... Um, Distinguished? No, uh, the word... Uh, I, th I think you sound very like you are... Like you were, I'm, I'm sorry, I was going to try and help you there, but I can't. You sound fucking, <laughs> yeah. you sound fucking You do, you miserable. sound miserable. Don't you, sound like, yeah. you sound like someone who's after kicking your puppy in front of you. <laughs> I know. What's that 
talking about? I'm so sorry, Paul, if you're listening. Like, you did great to get any sort of documentary out of that at all. I was so struck. Paul sent it to us. He sent a few of his videos to us to, to you know, just to, so we could watch in preparation for the interview. And this was one of them. And I just could not get over the sound of my voice. It's 10 years ago. So like, there's obviously, you know, a lot changes in 10 years. But I just couldn't get over that. I always think you can de- you can tell you can tell when somebody speaks through a smile. Like speaking through a smile makes a makes a voice sound different. Like we're all kind of we're sitting here having a bit of crack now and we're all smiling and you can kind of hear that in the shape of a voice but like if I just, you know, change my mouth to be a little bit upset like that. <laughs> Yeah, very sad. Like, uh, speak with a smile again. You know, it's yeah. it's just it changes the shape. Of the we need to start your filming this so podcast sound, again. You sound like you're you're um, not speaking to. Do you remember filming that? Yeah, had yeah. anything specifically bad? Like you don't obviously have to tell the world that what had happened, but were like were you in poor form? I get look. We had a two-year-old daughter who hadn't slept. I'm, I'm like I said it to Sinead this morning. I played it for Sinead, and that's immediately where she went. She says, "Look, we just hadn't slept for two years. Maybe that was it." That's that is so interesting. Like you could play that clip, you know, to teenagers who you want to like uh, educate on on this on on safety and and, and sexual safety. And be like, here's Kieran Quinn, right, <laughs> when he has slept, and here's him when he's had a child for two years. Hello, um, no, I'm I'm really having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's what struck me. But it was great to watch all the videos um, that Paul has Paul has done, and this is great memories actually from from ten years ago. This is called First Piano. It was a really nice little short documentary he did on the first piano, the piano I learnt on, cool, and then the first piano I bought. So it was you know there's footage of our old house in Strand Hill where we lived ten years ago and that sort of thing. And yeah. Anyway, as I say, the lads, um, Paul and John, we went to Athenry, and you know. Very interesting characters. They've worked on all sorts of exciting film, uh, television and documentary projects over the years. And they have a great story to tell. Rory, you were particularly excited for this one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, we're a music podcast, or at least started out as a music podcast. Um, and my job in this podcast has, be, has been to make videos, make films, and I love that. And so to hear that we were going to go and talk to someone who's made a film that's nominated for the Oscars. And yeah, it was just buzzing. And, and and I got to like, you know, be a little bit nerdy on something that I don't have to do any research on. You know, like I, I watched the film and then like knew all the questions that I wanted to ask or, or knew the things I wanted to hear. You know, it's funny, some of the questions uh, that I wanted to chat about, the lads just kind of like naturally got to anyway. So I was just... Such a great experience. There was a great sort of 10 minutes at the end where it was just you and the two lads bouncing off each other in terms of film nerd talk. <laughs> and you were just in heaven, man. And the boys were loving it too. It was yeah, great to yeah, see it. for sure. That was great. Um, okay, so uh, let's move on. Um, we will get to this interview very shortly. But first, Hall has been intrepidly traipsing the tramways of Ireland as usual this month. Wow. And all I'll say Jeez. is that in order to avoid some awkwardness with this month's guest... I hope Galway doesn't come up as an answer to this question. Ooh. Right, I'm going to get this ready to play. Um, when you were on the way to uh, Athenry, did you notice anything about the height of the fields? Yeah, uh, low. <laughs> they were low, were they? Yeah, they were. I just I do hear people saying that from time to time. Head. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. Talking to your average Joes, a random question he will pose, but he'll ask one never knows. What's your favourite movie? Savoury or fruity? Do you like a sushi? Oh, it's me, Hall on the... Well, lads, what's the crack? Street's... Oh. 
Where is the least desirable county to be from in Ireland? Leitrim, because it's boring and there's more sheep than people. Carlow, because no one ever knows it's there. Mead, because it's a cap. Cavan, because there's nothing in it besides lakes. Okay, least desirable county to be from in Ireland. Oh, being from Leitrim is an awful cross to bear. What's wrong with it? It's just back air somewhere. Cavan. Why? It's God's blind spot. Monaghan. Why? Bad public transport. Longford. And why? There's nothing in it, and the accent is cat. Definitely Cavan, because they're so tight. <laughs> and Cork, because they're up their own hole. <laughs> it's me hole on the street. Jesus, this was not a good idea for an Irish podcast. Who allowed that? Who signed off on that question? We're going to get hate mail. Oh, we're, we're about to get hate we're mail. We're going to get hate mail. Uh, Calvin got an awful doing. I got, Calvin got an awful doing, yeah. But it, it does a lot in general. Calvin's a very easy target. Taking the piss out of Cavan is, is really picking low-hanging fruit, you know? Uh, do you know, I have a friend, uh, Wheeler, who we all... Uh, kind of take the piss out of fairly regularly because he's he's a bit of an easy target himself, but he's gas crack. He takes it really well, you know. So, yeah. but I remember saying to him one time, I was like, "Your superpower as a person is your ability to deal with that level of heat uh, from the lads all the time because you take it so well, and everyone ends up laughing. Hmm. So you're like, it's a, if you know he can Wheeler can lift the the mood of a friend group just by be able to deal with cracks so well. And Calvin's a bit like that. Calvin <laughs> is. <laughs> Is a bit like that for sure. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Luke? I don't know. I mean, like, what's the, the least desirable county in Ireland to be from? I think was Mihal's question. And the minute you say your answer, I go white. <laughs> yeah, shout us. <it>. Yeah. <laughs> that was <laughs> the first things that popped into my head were the, the, the first three ones that popped into my head were the ones that got the most doing there, which sure. was Cavan and Leitrim and Longford. They're the ones that get that Longford's right in the middle and it's f- flat and and there's nothing happening. Leitrim is back Arsenal where and where was God's blind spot? Cavan, oh, right? And Cavan <laughs> is just you know Cavan is always getting the piss taken out of it. But I think wouldn't it be worse to be somewhere like mm, like Offaly? <laughs> Or Roscommon, <laughs> they don't get a look in at all, right? Nobody bothers to even take the piss out of them. So yeah. what's not worse than being talked and about? And they're not loved. They're fucking people are indifferent to somewhere like Offaly. They don't even dislike it enough to try and take the piss out of it. It's just Offaly, ah, I can't be bothered, you know. And but people don't love it either. People don't talk about it like it's you know, the lakes of you know the lakes in Kerry and and the, you know people. So yeah, yeah. Offaly is. Um, this was what such about, a bad idea. God's blind spot, but awfully is Ireland's blind spot, really, isn't it? It's just, we forget about it. You know, how many counties great. does Ireland have? At 25, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rory. Um, so this, this, what I'm about to say now, will put the nail in the coffin of growth for this podcast. <laughs> But mine is Dublin. I Well, if I had to pick a serious one, I'd be picking Dublin too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the least desirable county to live in by miles for me is Dublin. It, you know, people talk about the big smoke and going up there for career opportunities and blah, blah, blah. 
But the place that I, when I get there, that I want to get out of fastest yep. is Dublin. So I couldn't, I actually couldn't live there. How long could you stay there? I can do two days, but, okay. but I'll be asleep on the train on the way home. Yeah. Right. I'm done, yeah. you know. Uh, the pace is too fast. The all the, Do you know what? This is the real thing. And I'm sorry to all the Dublin people, because I have lots of Dublin friends. But I am so west of Ireland that I'm not able to function in any city. Mm-hmm. But Dublin loses, for me, all the things that the West of Ireland have. Like, you know, you pass someone on the street and say, how are you? You don't have a clue who they are. No. It doesn't happen in Dublin. No. People run over you in your car in Dublin. Yeah, I mean, if you if you, if you you just walk down the street in Sligo and you kind of accidentally bumped your shoulder off someone or something, you go, oh, Jesus, sorry about that. Now, yeah. I don't want and, and there's the, in Dublin, they just give you like a look. Yeah. And then keep walking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the dirt on the shoe look. Yeah. Now, in fairness, Dublin people are lovely, and I'm sorry to all my friends, but the, the city is too fast-paced for me. It's too different. I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. It's funny. Every time I go to Dublin recently, I lived in Dublin for seven or eight years, um, but I, f- I feel when I go there now, it's so funny. Like, I, f- I get overwhelmed by all the people. Yeah, for sure. It's mad. Yeah, 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 for and sure. Anyway. Now, yeah. Kieran, as a, as a travelling, gigging musician that likes to do shows and stuff, um, you know, so be very careful. But the town or the, uh, the county that you would find least desirable to live in is where? I think this is to be from now, just to quote Hall correctly. Oh, it's to be it's from. It's the county to be from. Now, we don't have time also for you to change Dublin. your whole answer. Also no, also Dublin. Because yeah. yeah. at least... I, I know that other counties exist because I'm from another county. Yeah. I, fa- I found out recently that um, that that dad when so we li- I was born I was born in Australia. I spent two years there, then came back to Dublin for two years. And at the age of four, um, my sister was just born, and it was like mum and dad were deciding where they were going to settle. Yeah. So dad applied for a few jobs in various places, and I found out recently that he had job offers in Sligo, mm-hmm. in Tala. Yeah. And in Waterford. Okay. And I am so glad. Waterford is a nice part of the world. Well, hold on. Tell me about Waterford. Why do you say that, Luke? They make lovely crystal. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Am I right in saying that, okay, you know this this uh, campaign that's going Ireland's ancient east? Yeah. Am I right in saying that, like, that's mostly Waterford? Uh, no? No, surely Newgrange is part of that. That's mostly a reaction to the fact that the Wild Atlantic Way did so well. That's yeah, well, is. I know, yeah, I know. We have to have one as well. I think, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know much about Waterford, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, it's very far away. But if you lived in Waterford and you were sitting with Waterford Rory and Waterford Luke, and Waterford Luke says, ah, oh, geez, Sligo's nice, and you'd say, sure, what's Sligo? Absolutely, but you're like that's 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 what we're saying here. We're mm. we're we're just we're I suppose we're trying to think of places that don't really appeal and like if you don't well yeah maybe, maybe it's ignorance but I don't know very I know very little about Waterford. I've been there maybe twice in my life. Yeah, Have you ever been yeah. to Waterford? I've never been once. <laughs> Luke, uh, I think I might have went through it. <laughs> Luke, Luke fighting the corner for somewhere he's never been. I love that. What about Tala? You'd be a good I've Tala been head. There. <laughs> We've all been to Tala. I've been there. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Nah. Lads, this needs a swift move on <laughs> before yeah. we alienate ourselves. <laughs> yeah. We won't mention that. We've mentioned enough counties at this stage. <laughs> Thanks for that, Hall. You killed the podcast. <laughs> have we anything else to say, lads, before we get on to this, uh, this interview with, with John and Paul? Oh, actually, so, sorry, I have a point to raise. Yes. Okay. We need to address the issue with a budding kind of a turf no, feud starting with another no, podcast in no, town? No. 
No? In fact, I'm a waste of time. Small time. Not worth it. Small time? Small time. Oh, I guess, yeah, I'm I guess. i with them now. <laughs> We're interviewing an Oscar nominee. Finish with them. <laughs> okay. That's very true, Luke. Yeah. Damn right. <laughs> Moving on. Let's move on. So that seems to be the general consensus here. Thanks, lads. Uh, it's time for the big interview with John and Paul Murphy. Uh, in order to get the best out of this chat, if you haven't already seen it, pause the podcast now and go watch on Colleen Kuhn, which is available to rent on YouTube. Also, some of Paul's videos, which we discuss, are on the Waterways Ireland Facebook page. Let's get to the chat. Paul and John Murphy, you're very welcome to In the Lamplight. Thanks, Kieran. Good to be here. Uh, great to have you on. Um, I found a quote, John, on your website, which I'd like to start with, uh, because I think it's, it's, it, it, it might bring us to the start of this story. Um, it's, on, um, it's on the page on your website, which deals with the short film, The Weather Report, um, which the two of you worked on, which is Paul's, Paul's project, but I think you edited it. Sure. Um, and it says, I was delighted to edit this film as it was directed by my older brother, Paul. It is his first drama film and turned out really well. Paul has been one of the biggest supporters of me and my chosen career. In fact, he bought me my first Mac, enabling me to get a start in editing. So I pretty much owe him everything. Doing this short will hopefully be the, just another step in our ongoing series of collaborations. So part of the reason we wanted to do this interview was to find out what a career in the Irish film industry looks like and how two brothers from Milltown, County Galway ended up in the thick of it all. Paul, it sounds from this quote like it's possibly all your fault. How did this whole thing begin for you? Okay, well, first of all, it's not all my fault. <laughs> okay. Um, right. But uh, to an extent, I suppose, we're two of four brothers. Um, our youngest brother, John and I are the two middle brothers. The youngest brother is Kieran, uh, who a lot of people will know from Second Captains. Our oldest brother, though, is Brian. And Brian is the one who started us off, really. Interesting. Right. Yeah. So Brian is just a year older than me. And I suppose when we were younger, uh, I suppose a lot of families watched a lot of films. But Brian, <laughs> I made it serious for us. Brian was the one who got us all into film. And we would go to Extra Vision at the weekend in Toom and spend ages picking out the four videos we were going yeah, to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a big ordeal and who got to pick the four. And then Brian would take it to another level and he would buy Empire every month. Oh, yeah. So in that sense, I suppose, we were really into films from a very young age, all of us. Uh, John being that bit younger than me, but me and Brian would stay up every Saturday and every Friday night and watch two films. And it was a serious thing for us. Okay. And getting to know who directors were and who different actors were and buying the magazines as well was a big part of it. Yeah. yeah I, I remember uh, there was a night of myself and Brian and uh, I think our cousin Sean maybe as well. We stayed up and watched, it was, the Oscars were on. We stayed up to watch. Uh, they were on at two or three in the morning and Brian had gotten two movies. There were The Third Man and Do the Right Thing, which are two of my, still two of my all-time favourite movies. And I was 14 and I should not have been watching Do the Right Thing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, like I always remember that as being, you know, like, I don't even know where he got those films from, you know. And to have someone who, you know, is your older brother, four or five years older than me, showing, like, curating a, you know, a movie experience for you is, is phenomenal. And the lads, they used to tape... Um, there was a thing on BBC Two called Movie Drone with uh, Mark Cousins and the lads used to tape that. And um, there was a guy in RT used to do it as well. Um, there was a movie show in RT, yeah. The, what was, what's your man's name? Um, 
well, I should know what I'm, uh, uh, but he used to put on like a series of Woody Allen films or a series of, uh, oh, yeah, Robert yeah, Allman yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, Brian used to tape them all. And we had, so we had all this great library of films for yeah. years and years. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, Brian Redden was the Irish guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we used to watch those and Brian kind of, you know, he uh, he instilled this love of cinema into us very, very early. Because we actually ne- we didn't really go to the cinema itself very often because, well, we yeah, to us a bit. Yeah, we used to go a bit, myself and Brian, and we would get take the bus to Dublin sometimes. And we would have been 15 or 16. We'd just go to Dublin. The routine was to go to the two big cinemas in the middle of Dublin, watch two films and get the bus home. Yeah, <laughs> wicked. Does it? Did you know at that stage you were going to be filmmakers? No, no, no. I don't think that that was. Think about that. Uh, you know, mm. you know, growing up when we grew up in the eighties and nineties, like you don't think of that at all. Like, I, I mean, I had a vague idea that I might like to work in television. Sure, but like television for me was, you know, being a cameraman doing news reports. Or, you <laughs> sure, know, what I mean? like yeah. it was something that you would. It, it, you could only see that far ahead. You couldn't think of like movies weren't made in Ireland in the, and they literally weren't made in Ireland mm-hmm. in the 80s, you know. So the idea that you would work on on films or even that there would be a, a way in through documentary or television, you know, it, it I don't think it, it was, you know, like I think I might have seen myself having a career in, in journalism. Like that was kind of sure, like that seemed possible, but, yeah. and Kieran certainly did as well, but yeah. I don't think we, you didn't think like that? No. The idea that you could work in... No, that wasn't even a thing you could... Well, and that well, didn't, wouldn't happen until years later that you could see an avenue for that. Well, how... Okay, so how did that change? Where, at what point could you start to see the avenue and could start to see the possibilities of getting to where you are now? Uh, well, when I, d- I did the Leaving Cert in 1998 and at that stage... It's great year to do the Leaving Cert, John. <laughs> 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 Me and you both, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I could have done with France 98 not being on at the same time. Yeah, uh, true, as the yeah. Leaving Cert, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like... I think I applied for DCU, uh, the communications in DCU, yeah. kind of again thinking that was there. But then there was also, there was just starting to emerge a couple of film and TV courses. And there was one in in GMIT in Goway and it kind of felt like a good safety backup. It wasn't far from home. And, you know, uh, and I had a vague idea that, I, you know, I like movies a lot. So why don't I just kind of do that? I didn't really have any clear idea that I could do anything else. So that I think was the first time that, and that, and when I did the course, it was the second year of the course, so it really was kind of new, new territory. Yeah. But you know, I think as well, part of that too was you know it's the late nineties, things are kind of opening up a little. Like Ireland is kind of looking outward a bit more, so it it did seem a little bit more possible, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's where I I started um, thinking about it then. Okay. Okay. Um, but even then, I wasn't I wasn't going into that course with a great kind of like. I didn't necessarily see a career. I was like, let's just see what happens after this okay. two or three years. And, right. It yeah. was an exciting course to do. Yeah. 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 How about yourself, Paul? What was your first? How yeah. did you dip your toes into it? I think that, so when I did the Leaving Cert, there was no film courses. I'm a couple of years older than John. And I think then I started hanging out with John and a couple of the guys that he knew from college. And I got to know a couple of cameramen that John was friendly with. Um, I think because John had been to college and was studying filmmaking, I kind of liked the idea of getting involved myself. And um, I would meet up with John and he, I got to, to know some of the lads that he was uh, working with. And I think by the time they finished college, um, I think they had some expertise that I didn't have. So we would go off and shoot stuff, usually um, uh, unfunded stuff. And I think I learned an awful lot from that. 
And I think then we decided to buy some gear and we bought a camera uh, and we bought an iMac and the big bubble-shaped iMac. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Bizarre-shaped thing. (laughs) And a mini DV camera, which was at the very start of the the mini DV era um, for all you film geeks out there. And uh, we used to go and shoot stuff and you learn stuff as you go along by meeting the right people who help you. Uh, you get to learn more. I mean, what I was learning at the time was the grammar of filmmaking, how you put something together, how many wide shots you need, how many close-ups you need, and what you need then to go to the editor that the editor has enough stuff to put something together. And that's what I was learning. And um, then I got funding for something and I made my first short documentary um Back in 2011, or and what's the feeling like to see your first thing on screen? Uh, it was, it's great. The, in some ways, the best feeling is when you get to the end of the editing process and you look at it and you go, "Okay, that works." Yeah. And at that point in your career, all you want is to see that it works. Mm. It doesn't have to be mind blowing or anything. The first thing I did was was about a, a printmaker out in Connemara, uh, Maribel Urban. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. And we had shot that thing. And four years later, I came back to it and edited it because I just didn't get what I wanted the first day, but I didn't even realise that I did actually have something. Mm. And um, we edited that and then it got selected for a film festival somewhere. And I was, I remember this, I was on the verge of saying, right, this is just not working. And then I got an email to say that I had come second in some prize for this short documentary. So in some ways, all you need is a little bit of encouragement like yeah, that. Yeah. You go, fuck it, I'll stick at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, filmmaking can, can, especially the behind closed door part of it, can be a lonely place to be yeah, for, for a while. Because especially when you're not bouncing your ideas off people. Yeah. I think, you know, when you're making stuff, it's important that you do bounce it off people. But yeah. if you're not happy with it, it's so hard to do that. It is. Like, I don't want anyone to see it yet because it's not oh, ready no. yet. It's not finished. And so you're sitting there going, is this, does this thing even, yeah. does this thing even work? Like, should, like yeah, should I just throw it all in the bin now, yeah. you know? And I, I actually did with that. And um, yeah, I remember Waterford Film Festival sent me an email saying you came second or something. I was really encouraged by that. This is 20, I don't know, 10 or something. I don't really know. Yeah. But I had worked for Goway Filmfly in the intervening years as well. And that was a crucial thing that my job was to sit down and watch whatever 200 short films that they get every year as entries. Yeah. And I started to see what worked and what didn't work. And that was an unbelievable education. Uh, that's so valuable. It was an unbelievable education. Yeah. Because within one go of doing that, I ended up doing it a few times, but the first go you do it, you go, right, that works. Mm. That doesn't work. Don't do that. And then from working with good people, then I would then start applying for jobs. I would get the odd job. Uh, it's, I mean, it is difficult. You wouldn't want to have too many financial pressures at that point in your life. Yeah. So I was going to ask, yeah. Paul, at this point in your life, was this your full-time job when, when you were worrying and when you got this, this, this yeah. email encouraging? Yeah, I had actually left. I was working in the bank. Um, I came back from uh, a year in America, sorry, half a year in America. I came back, I applied for a job in the bank. I got it. I really enjoyed it. I worked with lovely people there. Um, I didn't really see it as a long-term career for myself, but there was still a bit of trepidation about leaving it. Uh, So I left it and I went to do a master's in film studies as well around that same time. And um, that was when I was looking for work. So that was a, that period was, there's a lot of trepidation. (laughs) It really sort of had to work, I guess. Well, yeah. Yeah, Or else you were were going back to the bank or somewhere else. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I suppose I was kind of 
I was happy to live with that, that I might have to go back, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you have to take a chance at some stage and go, because I had done a few jobs while I was working in the bank and, uh, you know, you're taking days off work to go off and do something <laughs> so wildly different. But uh, there did come a point then where you had to say, I'm either going to do this now or I'm not. Yeah, yeah. And what, um, so, so, okay, you got that email, mm. you got a bit of encouragement yeah. and you're still, you're still working in the yeah. industry. So what, what, what does your work look like now, Paul? What sort of work so do the you last do? couple of years, um, mostly what I do now is um, I do the videos for several state agencies. So uh, my main one would be Waters Ireland at the moment, um, but I've also do work for the, uh, the National Museum, uh, the Heritage Council, several county councils. A lot of state agencies would be making their own videos now. The Waters Ireland stuff that I do is documentary work, basically. It's not, when I try to tell people that I do this, a lot of people assume that they're promos, but they're not really. The guy that I deal with is actually the heritage officer in Waterways Ireland, and he was always very keen that we tell stories rather than make get rock show ads. Yeah. You know, because yeah. that is what people, would, there was a time, I think, some maybe even a few years ago, where the rock show ad is what people wanted. But I don't think they do anymore. People want a real connection. So we make videos about people who work for waterways or people who work on the waterways or kind of around that. It's kind of a community building almost. Yeah. Around the, yeah. Sorry, you've been there. Yeah, it's, I, I watched these uh, in preparation to come and meet you and chat to you about your work. And uh, yeah, I really saw that. I saw this kind of narrative driven kind of um, piece. It's definitely in the documentary style. Mm. You've definitely followed the kind of filmmaking world the the rules of filmmaking yeah. in a sense that like you you have your characters in your videos mm-hmm. and uh, your characters all of their separate lives and their different cool things that they do in the waterways and, and you've used your filmmaking knowledge to tell them stories really appropriately and, and yeah. in a fun connective way so yeah I loved that there's actually one I'll just tell the listeners here actually if you go to Waterways Ireland's Facebook page you can see Paul's work uh, there you'll see the the, uh, the things that look like documentaries that's, that's what Paul's yeah. made uh, but there's one where there's a lad he did a kayak tour or a canoe tour yes. or something for two days yeah that's brilliant like it's so good tell us about that yeah one. so often what we so the, the the theme from last year's films was uh, inspiration about how people are inspired by the waterways that's the kind of thing that I would usually take a step back from because inspiration is hard to film sure <laughs> but anyway <laughs> yeah. so we had uh, so we had there was a guy called John uh, Connor John O'Connor John Connell, sorry, who wrote a great book, actually, about a kayak tour uh, in Longford. And um, so he was doing a walking tour of the canal in Dublin, the Royal. And so we filmed with John as he took people on a walking tour. And then we filmed with him up in Longford as well, where uh, he started his journey. And I suppose, just like you're saying, we're kind of looking for... Um, to shoot it in a way that people recognise it as a film yeah. rather than an ad. Because yeah. even from the first few shots, people should know this is not an ad. This is not a hard sell. We're not trying to tell you uh, to rent bikes on the canal. We're just here to tell you a story. And sure, the story does reflect well on Waterways Ireland. Yeah. And that is important. But it is a story about a guy 
who does something? In the car on the tour, funny you mentioned the first few shots because in the car on the way up, I was talking about that mm. specific one. And I was like, there's like a lovely wide establisher of like a train. Mm. And then you've got this kind of like cut off section of some piece of like um, industrial yes. machinery. Yeah. I was like, I bet Paul is proud as punch of that piece. Yeah. And you can tell, it screams it because when you look at it, it's like, yeah. these are all class shots. Like I bet they were thought through yeah. to no end. Like, so yeah. They, they, they are thought through, but in a way, at at this stage that's all decided when we get there oh yeah so there's me and there's two cameramen uh, that I work with we don't have the budget to go beforehand and okay. look at these places so when we go there it's bang 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 wow we need to get all of our shots straight away but that's kind of the way you have to work that I know in my head I need 50 good shots today yeah. We're going to use 40 of them. There'll be 10 shit ones. That's normal. Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, normal. Yeah, yeah. But you have to try and get your, whatever it is, 30 or 40 good shots to put the video together. Yeah. And um, it should be clear to you when you've done this a lot, what the job is. And you don't get distracted by the, like the walking tour that the, the John was doing. That's one thing. But that's actually separate. Yeah. My job is to get 40 good shots. My job is not to record his talk yes. that's not my job Yeah, my job is to get 40 good shots and 10 of them need to be wide shots and 30 need to be close ups yeah. yeah, or whatever the ratio is and you have to treat filmmaking that way I mean it's, I suppose traditionally in the drama world you would go and do a location recce beforehand and I have up. done that sometimes yeah. okay okay, that does happen occasionally yeah Is uh, do you get nervous if you don't have that no because uh, once I know what the guy is doing and I have a fair idea of where we're going to be, I'm okay. Occasionally, I didn't send you the one about the brickmakers in Pulla. No. No. Well, that was one where I did go beforehand because I was given no story. Okay. So the guy in Waterford, Ireland says, so there's a guy in Offaly. He tells this story about brickmaking in Pulla County, Offaly. And we want to make a video about that because it's a really interesting story. And, but for me, so you have an old man in his kitchen telling a story. So I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that? So then your job becomes something else. Sure. Your job becomes figuring out how to tell that story. So I find out he has a son who's in college. Okay, is there a place where we could recreate all of this stuff? She goes, yeah. He says, if I dig a hole in the back garden there, we'll find this special clay that they made the bricks from. Yeah. So great. Let's get him down, have him dig a hole. Have them make the bricks in the back garden then. So if you watch this video, you wouldn't even think that I had been there beforehand or I'd gone through all this, but there's nothing unless you make something. And at my level or at any other level of filmmaking, you have to invent stuff to shoot after Mm. it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The story isn't, it's not CCTV like. You have to invent stuff. So we invented this whole thing where he dug the hole in the ground um, and he... uh, prepared them on a table at the back of the house himself and his owl out having a bit of a chat about making the bricks and then we put 10 bricks in a wheelbarrow and we wheeled them up to the canal the way it was connected with the canal was the whole industry started when the canal opened the Grand Canal in Offaly and the bricks made half the buildings in Dublin right class so that was how we got around to be able to tell the story like the one thing that people often come up to me and say Paul have a great idea for a documentary I mean this happens to us all the time but often what they have is a great idea for a story, yeah. which is totally different. Yeah. The number one thing I have to have is something to shoot. And a beginning, middle and end is great, but without having something to shoot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So John, you are an editor. Yes. And so you get 
you get you get the pictures. Yeah. All these 50 shots, for example. And is it your job to choose the 40 best ones? Or or, or can you tell us a bit more about the job of an editor? Sure, yeah. So uh, an editor is, you know, uh, y- your job in kind of uh, shorthand is to put, leave the good stuff in. You pick the you pick the stuff that goes in, the stuff that goes out. So the 10 but, shit shots that Paul's got, they get cut. Yeah, effectively, yeah. 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 It, it's, it's basically you, you get all the jigsaw pieces and then, you know, you might have uh, the picture on the front of the box, but the picture might change. Yes. You're, uh, as you put the pieces together, you might it might become something different okay. when you're doing it. So yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's putting all the pieces together, but then it's also debating whether that is the best version of it or is there a different way of doing it? You know, uh, uh, so it's putting together all the picture, all the audio, all the music, uh, graphics, uh, sound effects, all that kind of stuff that kind of that you would put together, and then it's figuring out what the what the ultimately what the story is and what's the best way of telling it. So it's okay. kind of like writing, you're rewriting the the the, the film again. Yeah. Um, and you know, you work with you work with very closely with the director, and you kind of debate things out and you figure things out and you move pieces around the board and okay. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. And so was this the the niche in filmmaking that you always saw yourself doing or or how did you end up in the specific role of editing? Uh not necessarily. I um I when I was in college I kind of fancied myself to do photography uh, or and you know to be a director of photography but I I didn't have a good enough eye and I what didn't have a very steady hand. And I I I then I just kind of fell into editing. When I look back now I can see that all the pieces were there. You know like I said, I, I loved doing I used to always love doing jigsaws. Our, our mother is a librarian and I have a little bit of that kind of, um, I like books to be organised alphabetically. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm very organised about things like that. And um, Paul's yeah. shaking his head here. <laughs> yeah. dear, he gave me the look of like, how weird is that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but. yeah. And just, you know, I like things to be kind of ordered and uh, I have a very good, I've always had a very good kind of memory for, for kind of pulling out random things. And, that, and that's a lot of editing is that it's kind of going, Oh, wasn't there something on card 42 of the guy looking over to the sky? And then that's the shot you use, you know? Okay. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I, I kind of see I have all the pieces. I had all the pieces there. I just didn't realize it. And I ended up kind of getting into editing because I got on well with this editing lecture that I that I had in college and uh, and ended up working with him. And he, I was his assistant and he, he, he was going to do a short um, because he fancied the director and then he found out that she was dating the lead actor and he didn't want to do the short anymore. <laughs> so he was like, Can you do it? And that was my first day ever editing. I think I sat in on and had the machine in front of me. Yeah. And it was like a paying job. And yeah. I'd never used the software before. I didn't really know how what to do. And there's no better motivation than yeah. that to yeah. kind of like all yeah. of a sudden you're doing it. And yeah. then uh I kind of did that and then things you know like things kind of moved on and you get offered more work on the back of that and okay you know i had a bit of irish as well that yeah. kind of helped especially okay. living in galway at the time you know so okay yeah. okay so i've um i think the first time i came across your editing work was on a film directed by paul and conceived by paul i guess uh, called the weather report this is probably back about 10 years ago 2013 2014 um paul do you want to tell us a little bit about that because this is a bit different from the type of work you've described so far yeah so i so obviously with the the work that i do for uh, different state agencies i also do some more personal projects occasionally as well. And the weather report was one of them and it definitely was not something I was ever expecting to be doing. But I came across this story about a lighthouse keeper in Mayo 
who inadvertently um, played a role in the D-Day landings. It's an amazing story. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know if people want to hear the story again. Go on, absolutely. But, um, so there's a lighthouse keeper in Mayo in Blackside. Well, Blackside Bay is about 25 kilometres from Belmullet. <laughs> so, it's a long way from anywhere. This is a long <coughs> yeah. way from anywhere. Yeah. And um, there was... Uh, so at the time, the Irish government were still providing weather reports um, to the Met Office in London. Even though we were an independent country, obviously, there was an arrangement during the war that we would send weather reports uh, to London. So he sent his weather report as usual on the 2nd of June or whatever it was. And... Um, he got rang back three times to confirm the weather report. Was this the correct, was he certain this was the correct weather? So he was, him and his wife were obviously freaked out by this because they had a phone, but no one ever called us. And you make so, great use of that in the film. Yeah, well, the phone is the, the key the thing. The phone is the key thing, The yeah. phone is the volatile object here, you know, yeah. it's going to go off. Yeah. And uh, as it turned out then, his weather report meant that the weather was going to be good and the beaches of France on the 6th of June and the D-Day landings went ahead. Mm, wow. But he had this inadvertent role and he wouldn't find out for years afterwards that he had a role in this. So anyway, I had known, I came across this story. I played around with trying to make a short film about the idea because I liked the length would be about five minutes. I liked that. So I wrote the script and now I had never written a script before. I had never studied anything about script writing. So, but like you could go online and find out how to, you know, how to format a script and, you know, how to, do, so I did. It's so like John sitting in front of the computer on his first day of well, editing. Yeah, 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 you just, yeah. just got to gotta find out how to yeah, do it somehow. Yeah, you got to figure it out, how to format yeah. it correctly, you know, to use that font. The courier. Courier. Yeah. Courier. <laughs> yeah, courier. And um, so I did that and I, did I show it to you beforehand, I wonder? Did I show it to anyone beforehand? No, I don't think you did. I don't think I did. I just sent it into the RT Short Script Award. There was a hundred entries and mine got picked. And I kind of couldn't believe it, but at the same time I kind of could because I believe that the story was so good. Mm-hmm. And then you end up doing things like ringing casting agents, going, oh, looking for actors. <laughs> this is a strange world I'm in all of a sudden. <laughs> but anyway, the film worked out well. We shot it. It was a fantastic experience. John was our editor. Music, uh, original music was composed by Kieran Quinn. You. And uh, we had, it was fantastic. <laughs> but even at that, for me to think, who could I ask to do an original score? Well, I know Kieran Quinn. I'll just ask him. And again, you hadn't done that before. Had you done a score for a film before? No. No problem. Kieran bangs on in a couple of days. Yeah. And uh, we have a score now. Yeah. And um, so the, the way the, it works with short films then is you enter competitions in film festivals. So a film festival might get 200 entries and they show 10. That's kind of yeah. how film festivals work. But we just, at that time I decided the Irish festivals weren't enough for this. I would go abroad. So you're dealing with thousands of entries into film festivals. And we had a great time. It got selected for, I think, on the last count, 64 festivals in 17 countries. Countries like Egypt, Mexico, Argentina. Did you get to go to all these countries? No. (laughs) We went to a great festival in Bern in Switzerland, myself, John and Ivan, the cameraman. Yeah, that's great. It was brilliant. It was called a Schnitt, I think, which means cut in German. And it had some of the best short films in the world there. And I think we were amazed. The standard was just... uh, 
standard was amazing. I was just thinking, actually, when we got there, I don't know if you remember this, John, but we were looking through the programme and we realised that there was a €10,000 prize for the first, for the best film under five minutes. We were going, geez, we're at four ninety one, but our <laughs> film... <laughs> you start dreaming then of yeah. going home with 10 that we didn't. But yeah. uh, it was a great experience. I was brought to Boston. Uh, I got a free trip to Boston out of it. And it was great. Um, it was a fantastic experience. Yeah, yeah. it was great. Great. Okay, yeah. so, so that's... Um, I guess that's that's another side of your work is this yeah. more more personal um projects you're you're interested in you're not necessarily commissioned to do is that is that still a, is that still a, a part of your work these days Paul Yeah so how, yeah. I got funding last year from Creative Ireland to make a documentary about my local shopkeeper Lovely and um that was great That was yeah. great Yeah it's a lovely piece It's yeah. really great and what it was was he was a guy who shot film actual uh, film Super, Super 8, 8 back yeah. in the 60s and 70s and into the early 80s around Galway and around Ireland and he took it on holidays with him so we got all his films digitised and then I made a documentary about him and we put on a screening of his work in Tume and we filmed there as well and it's just a nice piece about a guy who gave, who gives us a window into the past yeah I mean uh, there was guys who had these cameras, but Frank was good. Yeah, he could shoot. He could shoot it like he would yeah. get a shot and there wouldn't be camera movement. He'd just like, this is a shot and I'm going to get it. He did a re- he was really good and that's why I was interested in, in him. That was a nice project. That showed at Film Fest was last year. Lovely. So occasionally I will do things like yeah. that, Kieran. Yeah. Because yeah. you kind of have to go away from the one for me one for them yeah one for me one for them yeah, yeah. is it off the um, film festival circuit now oh yeah so yeah. is there anywhere that people can see it I haven't put it up yet actually but I will be putting that up um, that was just inter-Irish film festival sure I didn't really go I knew it was it was small and uh, it got shown at a few and didn't get shown at others and that's the way it goes yeah but um, great I'd great to okay. see it yeah yeah, yeah so, it was nice yeah. it's so it's a nice balance between yeah. the stuff that you're asked to do and the stuff you do yourself I guess John yeah. uh, how, how about the type of work you do these days what, 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 what have you ended up doing in this world of film editing so yeah I mean uh, so I, I've been film editing for 20 years I mean I would have started doing kind of lifestyle entertainment shows I did like passion fashion for TG Carr yeah yeah uh, I tell them how many episodes you did of Passion Fashion John? Oh, 30. Oh, 30. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did 87 episodes of a thing called Bug Stop, which is like a kid. Bug Stop. Oh, 87 right. episodes. <laughs> Not that you're counting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I could do like two a day. <laughs> By the end, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then lots of stuff for. I would have done done a lot of kind of TV. Or I did a lot of D- comedy DVDs. I did a lot of Tommy Tiernan DVDs, and then through that, I ended up kind of doing, um, you know, some documentary work and uh, stuff for TG Car. And then I did a lot of sports docs. So I would have done sports docs on, did one on Johnny Giles on um, Muhammad Ali coming to Ireland, uh, Arkel, Irish soccer team, um, Tommy Byrne. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, yeah, I would have done a lot of kind of sports stuff and uh, then eventually I got in, ended up kind of, I did a lot of shorts as I was going along as well here and there. And then eventually I ended up kind of getting offered to do uh, a feature drama and uh, and then I've been doing kind of a mixture of feature dramas and feature documentaries for the last seven or eight years. And, you know, that that's primarily where my work is now. Uh, but then I, I do keep, I do kind of keep, Dip my toe into television as well, just to keep that kind of going. Like, so I did one about our the Irish rugby team and the All Blacks yes, over Christmas, yeah. and you know, so I just I kind of keep it, it's uh, keep at, at, 
I just do whatever work I can kind of get my hands on and whatever I'm interested in, I guess. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. do what you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure, sure. And uh, I mean, Paul spoke about um, this this mad experience he had with the with the weather report and the the you know the place that went and the awards he got. You've had a similar enough experience recently um, with with the Colleen Kuhn. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you know, so can we you tell do us? a good job of not mentioning that till now? We try to be relatively professional about yeah. that, John. I hope yeah. you appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, <laughs> so this, sorry, this is uh, for anyone who doesn't know. This is this is an Irish language film that got nominated for best international picture at, the, at this year's Oscars, among many other things. But that's the headline, um, the headline for it, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, tell us first of all how how you got involved in this film. Sure. Uh, so um, the director of the film is, is a guy called uh, Colin Barry. And Colin's a very good friend of mine. He did a series for TG Carr 10 years ago about um, the uh, Gael Skulls doing Kjol dramas, musical dramas in, in Irish. And I, I, he asked me to cut that for him. So I, I started doing that with him. And we did that for six or seven months. And we just became great pals. And I would have done a couple of docs with him since then as well. And then... T.G. Carr decided in around 2017 that they wanted to try and make feature dramas. And I mean, at the time, everyone thought they were a bit kind of daft, but it, mm. it's been a, a, like a, an unqualified success. Like it's a huge, huge success for them. And Cullen felt that he would be, and he was, and clearly it, it is a, a suitable candidate for it. So he he went for it and he got it. And then I remember we met for lunch in like December, 2019. Uh, I was living in Dublin and, uh, Colm and I we, we ha- had a bite to eat and sneaky jar and and kind of said alright well, well hopefully this will happen this year and we'll, we'll get good news and then of course COVID happened and uh, I moved back to the west of Ireland decided to do that and uh, we weren't sure if the film was going to go ahead and then it did and they shot it in September so the, the film is based on uh, Foster by Claire Keegan which a lot of people would know from the junior search or leaving yes. cycle, I think it's on. Yeah. And, um, you know, a great, uh, wonderful, wonderful, long, long short story. So, um, yeah, uh, they, they just got it in, in terms of shooting it in between COVID lockdowns. It like the last week of the shoot, it was very much up in the air. We, they had to like rejig certain, wow. they moved certain scenes that were like outside to be earlier to make sure that they could get them done. And, uh, just had a huge amount of luck with the weather and no one getting COVID because if, yeah, you know, if someone had got COVID, they would have been gone for two weeks and then the film would be goosed. And um, yes, yeah, so they shot that. And then I, I edited it in my spare room uh, in Athenry in the house we were renting at the time. So many stories like this are like, you kind of expect an editor to be sitting at like, you know, 40 grand's worth of a computer and like, I mean, everything With lovely lighting in the room and Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah that's yeah, right yeah. But that, the one that The film that won Best Picture The guy's edited on a On a Mac In their sitting room You know, and now we're looking at On Colin Kuhn here Which is kind of being cut In a spare room, you know Like, yeah. I love that It's yeah. so real Yeah, and it was like It was all done remote Because we, we couldn't Be in the same room We couldn't At the time It was this very severe lockdown It was November 2021 No, November 2020 Sorry, yeah, oh, yeah. Which yeah, was very, yeah. very It was before vaccines So it was very severe lockdown So we couldn't um, We couldn't be in the same room Colm and I uh, We did it all over Zoom um, And it was in my spare room 
Cullum, you know, he's, he's two kids the same age as, as our, pretty much the same age as ours. So it was like, he would have to, we'd have to try and hide ourselves from our kids. <laughs> like, you know, pretend that we're going to work for the day yeah, and kind yeah. of sneak back up and yeah, yeah. do the day's work and try to get it done. And I remember we'd have, we'd, if the kids came upstairs, both of us would have to be like super quiet <laughs> just to try and like, so that they wouldn't come in and kind of, so Brilliant. it was all very, yeah. it was like an amazing experience that we won't forget, you know? Yeah. Um, and the film, you know, we knew, so I, I was on it for, I think maybe 20 weeks in total. And the first four or five weeks, that was when they were shooting it. And then, Cullum finished the shoot and then a week later he would watch my first cut of it. And the first cut of anything like that is like, it's terrible. It's always going to be terrible. But we both watched it and we were both, if anyone who's seen the film will know that it's a very kind of moving uh, end of the film. And both of us were in, you know, in tears watching the first cut of it. And we were kind of going, right, it, there's loads to do here. And it's a bit of a mess in loads of places, but it works. Like yeah. the central thing of it works. And the girl, Catherine Clinch, is astounding. Yeah. And, and we can make, and we can make it better. Yeah. And then your job is, you know, in a job like that where the script is so good, it's so well directed yeah. and performances are good. My job is just not to mess it up. Right. And not to get in the way of it and kind of go, why don't we like do this, do this. Your job yeah. is just like, just do it as, you know, just do yeah. the, as good a job as you can. And um, so, yeah, we we eventually did, then did spend like two or three days together in Dublin like, to get like a, an, an an exemption to go up uh, and stay, I stayed in an empty hotel. Right. Was, in Balls Bridge, there was maybe four other people there. And right. I got to have a pint. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. Nice. yeah, I was like sickly, I was sending pictures to all my mates going, I, I've got a pint to Guinness, lads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, and we did three days together and finished the film. And since then, it's just been kind of amazing. Like it, it got into Berlin. It was the first Irish language feature film to get into Berlin. You know, very few Irish films get selected for Berlin. So we, when that happened, we this was unbelievable. And we come back and then it's, um, we went to, he opened the Dublin Film Festival. Myself and Paul went and Paul sat beside me. And, you know, I remember Paul turning at the end of the film kind of going like, this is a really good film. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah was, uh, was that uh, the first time you saw Paul? Yeah. Because I was interested to yeah. hear, as a, like, first of all, as John's brother, but also as a, as a professional. Oh, man. What was your reaction to it the first time you saw it? I, I don't know. It was utterly amazing, really. Mm. I just felt... I don't know. I felt, first of all, I saw it and I went, this is the best Irish film there has ever been. And it is. I will never change my opinion on that. Yeah, I agree. It is the best Irish film there's ever been. And I felt a lot of things. I felt it very much the style of it followed more of a European cinematic model than a lot of the stuff that I had seen in Ireland. And I suppose when you have a family member involved in it as well, you are kind of going, bloody hell. You know, it was amazing. Um... Yeah, I, I don't know. I uh, I found the whole experience kind of wild. Um, and I was sitting with John when we watched it and that was the first time anyone in Ireland had seen it, really. Right. And um, yeah, I, I don't know what to say, Karen. Well, I, well, okay, it, so if I can help is, you to, yeah. to, to, to distill into, and I know Rory's load, loads of questions about I'm the actual, the nuts and bolts <laughs> of this. Yeah. But, but from a, okay, take the emotion out of it for a minute. Yeah. And what about the actual the technicalities of the film. Like you say, it's the best Irish film you've seen. Yeah, okay. What, what yeah. makes it that? Subtlety. Okay. Number one thing for me is subtlety. Nothing is blunt. Nothing is, you know, if I could pick one thing about it, I would say the subtlety of it. It is shot with the subtlety. The script has a subtlety. The editing has a subtlety that brings its own beauty to it. Obviously, the girling is amazing. And, um, 
all the cast are obviously amazing. Uh, Carrie Crowley in particular was mm, yeah. amazing. But if you could, if, yeah, if I could distill my thoughts to one thing here, it would be the subtlety. Um, and how does that translate? Like, okay, we all well, know what this, the word subtlety means, but yeah. in terms of a film, how do you be subtle with a film, with the editing, with the shooting? How, how does, what do you mean by that? I, 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 you see, that's the magic. Like, yeah, okay. That's where the magic comes from. Yeah. I can actually ask a question kind of to that because it's a question that I wanted to know and I, I feel like it's an edit it's an editor's it's question for the editor so to speak which is so the film flows right at a kind of a slow tempo but at times you've brought the intensity extremely high for example there's one point where coach the character uh, asks um her her new kind of guardian if uh, something is a secret mm. And her new guardian says to her, we don't have kind of secrets in this house. And shortly afterwards, so you, so, so at this point, you're kind of led into this narrative about uh, Koch. You don't really know what her story is, what's happened to her, you know. And so you kind of think, geez, what's, she, you know, so there must have been secrets in her old house. But there's, you know, what there is there is there secrets in this new one? And there's not, you're building up this world, this narrative. And you're, as a, as a viewer, your brain's going mental because you're thinking what, what's happened to her, you know. And shortly after that, she's lying in her bed and, and she's faced away from the door. And you kind of hear the creaking of the door open. Mm. And you hadn't, we, in this film so far, we haven't established who the male character in the house is. So we've only really established Coach's relationship to her new guardian. And your female and guardian. And for yeah. me, her female guardian. And for me, I was like, shit, shit. Like, is, what's going to happen here, you know? Um, now, spoiler alert, transpires at this point that the, the female guardian comes in and sits down on the bed and says, you know, if you were mine, I wouldn't leave you with strangers. But the intensity, I was on the edge of my couch going holy sh- like where where are we going here and so and then when it all settled back down there's a lovely kind of roller coaster and it's for example that moment but that happens loads through the film and for me i wanted to ask you did you find it hard to take little moments like that and build them to what you've built them to and then and then drop them out no i mean I, like a lot of uh, all that stuff was in the script but like um you know we definitely played on uh kind of audiences perceptions of what they expect to happen yeah so um and you know like i i think the film has a certain amount of tropes of folk horror in it and and super like people don't really pick up on that but it definitely does and that like it has this sense of like foreboding and tension and the the tension is at like you're trying to figure out what's kind of going on yeah and it's not it's not jump scares or anything like that but it's just this kind of you're you're kind of wound up so tight because you it's you you just want the best for everyone uh you know yeah like it's a different type of tension than kind of like oh someone's going to come and get these guys it's more that like oh no it it like it has to be this or, you know, um, something terrible is going to happen. You just assume something terrible is going to happen to this this poor child. Yeah. And so you're really tense. So we definitely played on that. I mean, the opening shot of the film is the is coach in the in the weeds, in the long grass. Yeah. And that totally plays on this kind of notion of what we expect, expect from how, you know, what happens in a lot to young girls a lot in... TV procedurals and, and, you know, crime shows where it's like, there's a body in the, and it's like, oh, this poor girl is a victim. And then you, she gets up and you're like, okay, it's something different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And definitely that moment you talk about, like, that's a very deliberate moment that it feels like, oh, 
knows something terrible is going to happen here. Yeah. But, and then the film undercuts it. And then we do, we try to do that as often as we can. And you get it later on as well with the well. And, yes. You know, yeah. Um, that kind of, I don't, I don't know if the word is, is false narrative or I don't know what it is. Kind of like you're leading one way and then the film takes you another direction to your expectation. But your use of that is fabulous, you know, and, yeah. the, and, the, and, and just as a film, I think it's, for me, that was nearly the, the hook, line and sinker of it is that, you know, you have that, right? So the overarching story, you know, is that you, you it's it's kind of like a dual portrait piece, right? So you have these family, this family that needs something. They've lost something and they need mm. it. And Koch fulfills that. And Koch needs something from two older people and they fulfill that for her. Effectively, them two portraits. But to take something simple like that, which is a, a very a relatively simple idea, and build this beautiful Irish world around it, it's fabulous. Yeah, uh, it's it's a film that isn't concerned with plot necessarily. Yeah. You know, like it's not about kind of, you know, uh, all these different. There's not a lot of not, not a lot of stuff happens in it. It it's more just about kind of uh, like what it felt like to be. And I think that's why Irish audiences have responded to it so well, and international as well. It's you know, it's that. It's that thing of what it felt like to to experience uh, a summer, you know, like a summer yeah. away from home or or like it, it's a childhood, you know. So it's uh, it's an experience rather than kind of like then this happened and then they went and did this and then this guy said this. There's like there's very little dialogue in the movie. I, I was took just loads a, out as I, well. I was yeah. going to ask you, because it's an Irish language film, I felt it was really clever to be low in dialogue and mm. and to do pretty much all your 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 storytelling and your filmmaking using all the other things like tension and feeling and like you yeah. could near if with if nobody spoke in that film you'd know what was happening yeah but i what i would say is that the the you know that wasn't done because of the irish language sure yeah uh, and in the, the film like it's a film that where language is very key to it obviously because um you know, because of the Irish language element of it, but actually it's really a film about kind of stuff that's not being said rather than it is being said. And that's the whole thing. It's about secrets and, you know, and, yes. and kind of inner inner lives. So it's not about what's being said. And, and actually, I think the Irish language, the use of the Irish language is very clever in it in that it is, it, it feels very natural, but it's also, it's um, because Koch's father doesn't speak Irish. Yeah. And the kids all speak Irish and her his wife speaks Irish. It's kind of like the Irish language is a bit of a, Weapon is the wrong word, but it's, it, it's. Well, it's it the is. right word. If you think of that last scene where, uh, where the father kind of speaks in English and then when the two are going to leave the house. Sorry, for, sorry for the listeners. You'll have had to have seen this film. Everyone's, understand seen, my everyone everyone this. everyone's but, seen it by now, but, for God's sake. Um, where the father kind of speaks in English, but the two leaving the house speak in Irish as yeah. if to say, we kind of almost don't respect you enough to love to communicate with you so we're going to well communicate. i think it's more that like the dad is like he can't be arsed to learn irish yeah like he's you know he he he's the other he sees it as an affront to himself to like he feels like he's insulting them yeah and he's winning like i mean that's that's kind of a reductive uh way of doing it but there is something in in like how he uses language is that he you know he he isn't making the effort to learn this language and it's it's it it's another dividing line between him and his family yeah. and like you know it's it's the film uses that and plays with that notion of you know the value of language in in all their lives yeah um, yeah. yeah there's one more thing i want to ask you just from an from an edit point of view um and 
like I want to know whose idea this was throw people underneath the bus it's like the, there's a be- an absolutely beautiful montage which is where we're ta- we're, we're counting oh, yeah. Oscar Ega while we're uh, uh, brushing uh, Koch's hair but we're showing the world so the world is passing by and there's a moment in it where I think it represents Koch's first time ever seeing affection between two adults, potentially. Oh, yes, yeah. So there's this just slight little lean in. Mm. Um, so that had been a directorial um, decision. But the way that was edited together, did you have much to to do with the with that montage and putting that montage together? Yeah, I mean, like, everything you're doing is in conjunction with, with, with the director. But, sure. like, um, yeah, I mean, that moment was shot. It was in the script. Uh, it was... Um, actually, a throwback to a to a scene that got cut, but it it worked really well uh, in that section. Yeah, and you know, like so, those montages we 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 worked them pretty hard, and we kind of moved things around, and you know, we sometimes we were grabbing shots from, um, like uh, there was some stuff shot in a test, like some test shooting stuff, and where the director of photography just happened to catch her butterfly. For, yeah, you know, sure. like things like that, little moments. Actually, there's a shot, uh, there's one shot in the first of those montages, which is Coach looking out the window. And that was just from a de- test issue. That wasn't like, that yeah, wasn't part of the, that wasn't in the script. And it was just, so we would take any little moment that we could and try and fit it into, um, and montages, they would change. Like, so there was more stuff shot for those two montages when some went out. Uh, the second one, I think, has a, has the, the kind of farming stuff in it with the cows yeah. and stuff. So that was all like, because Kate, the DOP, comes from a... Um, a documentary background so and Andrew Bennett grew up on a dairy farm so he knew sure. what to do like so sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they were like uh, but you know caution like Catherine never been around live animals like that you know like cows are big like you yeah, know like, yeah, milky sure. cows uh, they're very big so uh, you know it was about capturing all that and trying to figure out what bit of that to use where it felt authentic and genuine and you know and then Carrie sings that amazing song and yeah um, uh, brilliant there's um I'm wondering, like, I did Irish from a leaving cert. I wouldn't necessarily use it in my everyday life. Um, so there's some words in there that I'd never heard before. Mm. Um, some beautiful words. Uh, one in particular stood out to me was used by uh, Carrie Crowley's character towards Koch. And it was like, you could you could use some patharacta. Yeah. Which is some minding, basically. Some yeah, piece of your patharacta. Yeah. There, yeah. There, exactly. And, and I'm wondering this. Like from international audiences, would you would do you think that the sound of the Irish language connected with them at all, or did you did you did you yeah. hear any feedback that it, way? It, it's a really interesting thing for this. So like the film has been hugely successful. Obviously, like BAFTA nominated, Oscar nominated, all the IFTAs, great. But for me, and for I think for everyone in, uh, involved with it, the real victory that the film has is that it's now part of the. You can't have any conversation about Irish cinema anymore without this movie. Mm. You. Correct. Also can't have any conversation about the Irish language in this century, you know, uh, without mentioning and calling Kuhn because yeah. it's what it has done for the Irish language. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not maybe the best person to talk about this because I'm not, I'm not a Gaelgor. My Irish is rudimentary. Um, but what it has done is that there are people in, you know, the film has gone all over the world. It's been released in cinemas in you know, it's the number like right now. It's the number one cinema in in number one film in Norway, and there's right. people in Norway. It's people in Korea, in Australia, New Zealand. I mean, maybe not Australia, New Zealand, but you know, Korea. People in America uh, who have gone. Oh, I didn't realize that 
Ireland had its own has its own language, mm. and that is an amazing thing, and that is worth you know. I said earlier on about how TG Carr had the foresight to go and do this. That's the value of it. The value of it is that it's showing that Irish language is a living thing, and it's also showing people in the creative sphere in Ireland that uh, any sort of endeavor through Irish is not a dead end. That it actually you know um, like we've heard anecdotally of like actors who instead of putting, you know, uh, on their CV and putting fencing or horse riding, they're putting like fluency in Irish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's really tangible thing. And that's the thing that all of us associated with the film are most proud of, is that it's changed the conversation about the Irish language. Not that it's made Irish language cool or anything like that, but it's just shown that it's, it's uh, that it has value. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, some, you know, so like, that's where I feel about the language. And um, I mean, that's not really the question you asked, but like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it is. It's funny. Like, I, I think films are very important, you know, for us culturally. And I think good films point out something and make us feel something. You know, if you, if you feel something, the film's done its job, right? But I watched on Colleen Kuhn with uh, my fiance. And she, like, she, right, her blood is green. She's the most Irish person that, that exists, right? But she doesn't speak Irish and she well, after we finished watching it you know she cried at the end and we're doing the whole thing where you kind of right we'll have a cup of tea you know quickly we'll have a little cup of tea here and get, get things going but we're speaking about it and her she's not really a big film nerd like she watches movies just to watch them and see the story she wouldn't dissect them or anything but she said I'm embarrassed to not speak Irish after watching that like I I, I think she kind of thought like we should all make more of an effort and if a film does that to its population, you know it's important, right? To to a normal audience person to feel that afterwards to say, geez, I want to go and learn Irish. That was beautiful. I think you did a great job even in that sense, you know? Yeah, well, I I, I think that's that's been, we've heard lots of stories of that as well, that people have um, have said that, that they want to go back and the numbers are up in terms of people yeah. watching it. And also, like, I mean, I think as well that it brought people back to the cinema after covid it brought people who, you know, um, you know, intergenerational. The people are going to see it with their with their families, and yeah. you know, uh, the best review, uh, <laughs> the best review I got, I got for the whole thing was uh, my parents went to see it, and uh, they. I asked ma'am the following day, what did she think of it? She said, oh, it was great. Your father stayed awake the whole way through. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. that's a... Uh, as a result of the Murphy household. Yes, yeah. <laughs> great. Uh, how did you... Um, how do you find out... How did you find out the film got nominated for an Oscar? Well, we all... We... we you have a sense that it's kind of in the running. Like, you know... Uh, from maybe three or four months out, you know that it's in the probably... Well, first of all, it has to get into the bottom 15. So it got into the bottom 15. And then after that, you're in with a chance. It's very tight. Like, when you say the bottom 15. So there's only one, every, every country enters one film. So like, there's only one French film every year, one Italian okay. film. Okay. So, and so I think there was, you know, it's obviously what, 200 countries, 196 countries. I think they had maybe 130 entries or something. So you, there's a sense then about the top 15 to 30 might be. Okay. And then, they have they sh- they do a short list it gets to 15 so then with the day of the announcement uh we all went to the stella cinema in dublin and watched it live you know you've no way of knowing oh, there's a live it. announcement okay there's a live announcement okay. so we're all sitting there in the cinema maybe 50 of us and they do it alphabetically the nominees and so the quiet girl they they the they'd gone through them so it was like argentina 
close. Uh, all, all quite in the Western Front. And EOS were like, oh, Jesus, like, <laughs> oh, there's a lot of letters left to go at only one spot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then they said her name and we, so we all went lakes, like jumping up the place. Of course. Yeah. And it was great. And it was a really beautiful kind of communal experience, the fact that we were all there. All together, yeah. And it didn't have the pressure of kind of like it being at the awards show or even. It was just because we were all there and we could kind of all kind of enjoy the moment. And it, it was great. And Talked to the lads, Paul and Kieran were down in down my parents' house and I got to FaceTime them and it was great. Yeah. 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 Great. Yeah. And was that the moment or were there other moments along the way? Obviously the Oscars is the big one, but were there were there was that were, were there other ones that stand out for you? Uh yeah, that that was a great moment. Yeah. 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 Um yeah, that definitely was. Yeah. Um yeah. the 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 day it was released in, in in the cinemas in Ireland, which was May last year, was the same day that we they handed out the IFTAs had been done like uh, over over COVID time remotely. So they actually gave us our awards that night that the film opened. So we were all in Dublin with our like IFTA statues and, <laughs> and watching that the film was released in the cinemas. And that was great as well. Lovely. That was a great night. You know? um, the yeah, IFTAs yeah. was a funny one because my brother had made a couple of things that were, that were there. My brother's a filmmaker as well, you know. And so I was watching it and uh, I hadn't heard of On Colin Cain at all. Like, okay. And then this film comes and just went absolutely like every the whole thing. I was like, I better probably go and watch this then. Yeah, yeah. If it's gonna win everything at IFTA, we better give it a look. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was hilarious. Yeah. I was um I, I think it was I, I met your Kieran, your other brother, John, uh, it was after one of the second captain's live shows. And I think an, a, an announcement came through possibly on one of those nights. I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure if, if it was your nomination announcement. Or the fact this was March twenty March last year, so about okay. a year ago. So he got news anyway after the in the pub after one of those shows. Oh, that might have been actually the, when we won the IFTAs. When you won the IFTAs, yeah, yeah. 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 I remember just he, he shared the news with me, and he was just so proud. It was amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, I was just going to say a couple of things about Colin Kuhn. Just brilliant, Paul. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that's happened with Colin Kuhn is that so many Irish people have taken ownership of it, mm. that it is our film more than any other film mm. that we've met in this country. And I get that sense in all the reaction to it, all the build up to the Oscars and everything, that Irish people have taken it as this is our film. And in a way, they've taken back the language as well. Mm. I, t- I totally agree. I think that, you know, other kind of like famous Irish films exist that we would have said that about. I think it's taken the place yeah. like of of when you talk about Irish cinema. Mm. It, like, because, you know, as, like I'm a, like a low level filmmaker with mm. friends that are higher level yeah. filmmakers, so to speak. But everyone has, as you said, t- t- taken ownership and said, yeah, we, ha- we have class stuff coming out yeah. and we're unafraid. The film is unafraid yeah. to be Irish. Whereas sometimes we make films and it's quirky Irish and it's cool. Or we try and make kind of British style films or this film is unafraid yeah. to be Irish. And I think people just loved the bravery of it. Yeah. I, I would say as well, that's also true of a lot of the other Cine Gara films yeah, as well. So yeah, like yeah. Rossi, uh, Rorschach is Frank. Rorschach okay. is Frank. Uh, you know they're they're not af- uh they're not afraid to be just be what they are. Yeah. Song of Granite, Song of Granite, of course, yeah, yeah. It was an amazing film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so uh, I think that that's one of the things that the Cinecar thing has shown as well is that there is room to just go and 
the films don't have to be what are sometimes called Euro puddings where they've got, yes. you know, like a, a Luxembourg actor and a Swedish, uh, yeah. Swedish and a Norwegian and a Spanish person all in the cast just because there's 10 grand yeah, coming from just, Spain. Just to fight, <laughs> yeah. just to fight the co-production. Yeah. 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 You know, so they can just be what yeah. they are and they yeah. can be, they don't, uh, we don't have to look at, we films can look out to the world without, trying to look out to the world yeah, yeah. yeah. they can speak to the world without trying to look yeah. to speak to the world yeah, yeah. brilliant brilliant lovely but have you asked all your film nerd questions Rory uh, yeah I think the other things that I'm going to ask I might do off uh, off air because I'm going to ask about aspect ratios and uh, <laughs> great, that kind ratio. of stuff so wow. that's getting that's getting too deep uh, no, the aspect yeah. ratio one is interesting actually yeah. I might ask this one because yeah, it might sure. be someone who's I interested I was put it out by that a little bit at the start yeah. so the aspect ratio is Weird, right? So what's that? That's the shape in which the film yeah. is. The shape of the film. Right. So rather yeah. than it being rectangle, this one is not quite square. So it's not quite one to one, but it's not quite four three either. Yeah, it's one point three seven to one or something. Is that what you call it? Yeah, I mean, so it's in a kind of a square inside a, you know. Yes. Yeah, and the reason the reason for that is that it 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 this is someone whose world is kind of boxed in. You know, so it's yes. it's kind of her perspective. The whole film is through her perspective. And so like, it makes sense then that the world is kind of, yeah. uh, hasn't been, it isn't in widescreen. It's in this kind of uh, narrow frame. Yeah. Uh, and also, I, I think it's also, you know, it, it serves other purposes, but that's fundamentally, it, 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 it's for that reason. It also is kind of, it's reminiscent of how we watch television in the 80s as well. But that's not the reason for it. It's very much that it's, that her, it world is is, her world is kind of boxed in mm. and confined so that, it, you feel the claustrophobic kind of nature of her her viewpoint as well. Yeah. And was that decision made before oh, yeah, principal yeah, photography? Before uh, principal photography, yes. Okay. And we did tests about how to do it. So Very we tried good. out different ones. I figured you may have shot it, I was only guessing, but I figured you may have shot it 16.9 or widescreen and then afterwards reframed it. But that decision happened from the outset. There was there was a little bit of room either side of it. It's just a safety thing. Yeah, but very little. Yeah, oh, yeah. Very little. Wow. Okay. So it was totally framed for that. So talking so, about brave films, that's another brave thing to do, yeah. right? But wasn't it the artist won an Oscar? Didn't that win best film? The Oscars, the yeah. artist, and that was four three. Yeah, uh, it has been, been a, done a bit in the last ten years. Yeah, I find it annoying. I've done actually. two or three of them. Have you? Yeah. yeah. North Circular. Oh, North Circular. When you said yeah. it through you a bit, Paul, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't know. I, I, when you see it, you sort of think that it's kind of just a device. And the film, you, when you're watching it, then you're, you're thinking, oh, they better fucking make this work now. Yeah. There better be a yeah. reason for this other than it's a gimmick. Yeah. Uh, that it's cool right now. Yeah. yeah. And um, so when I saw the Colleen Q, I was like, oh, John, is that? Yeah. <laughs> I was sitting beside it with the premiere going, John, there's a little bit of black left and right there. What's, uh, what's the deal here, you know? Yeah, 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 for sure. He was like, relax. It's, 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 yeah. yeah, no, it, it makes sense. Like, yeah. that, that it's no, there, it does. You know, it makes it, sense on the Colin Kim. Yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. does. And also, like, the like the 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 photography is so beautiful. It's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's so it's incredible. Nice. incredible. Um, uh, so I think it really lends it to its, yeah, it, it works because yeah. the photography is so nice. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Brilliant. Okay, well, John and Paul Murphy, thank you so much for, for having us down here in Athen Rye. This Great is our here. first uh, road trip. Low light the fields, Karen. We'll be back again. We will, we will, Great we will. And, and thanks for telling us all about your, your fantastic work. No Cheers, worries. lads. Thank Good you. to be here. Thanks, Karen. Thanks. Thanks, Roy. All right, well, hope you enjoyed that chat as much as we did. Uh, Rory, before we get to your recommending segment... 
What about last month's last month's recommendation? Yeah, so listeners of last month will remember that I challenged the group uh, and the listeners to do something difficult. Now, we have had more interest in this particular Rory Recommends than ever before. Mm-hmm. Wow. Absolutely amazing amounts of interest for, for our level. So, so I'd like to thank everyone for getting um, getting in touch and for um, for doing your difficult challenges. But I think while we have three of us here, so we have no Mihal. Yeah, Mihal couldn't make it tonight, but we'll get to Mihal's challenge next month. Yeah. But I'd love to ask ye about your challenges and then talk about what I did. So I think we'll start with G. Maybe Kieran. You, yours was super interesting. Why don't you tell them what you did? All right. So I uh, decided to. We, we went to Dublin for St Patrick's weekend with the family, um, for for two two days and two nights. And I decided I'd leave the phone in Sligo. For awesome that, for that length of time. Uh, thought thought it would be difficult. Yeah. You know, when are you without your phone for two days? Uh, and so I got the green light from yourself, Rory. You said, yeah, that's good enough for me. Yeah. And off I went. Yeah, how'd you find it? It was easy, man. <laughs> <laughs> I really was. I'm so sorry now. This It didn't turn out to be difficult at all. I guess uh, I wasn't working. It was, a, it, was a, it was a weekend away. We were staying with Sinead's sister and her family, so we were being looked after. My family were there. Uh, we weren't arranging to meet anybody. Do you know, the only time I missed my phone was on, so on St. Patrick's night, Friday night, Sinead was heading into a gig in Vicker Street with some of her friends. So I dropped her in uh, and I said to her, Sinead was tired going in and she wasn't sure if she'd stay. So I said, right, I've no phone. So I'm going to wait in the car for 45 minutes in this particular spot. And if you're, <laughs> if you're, if you're not feeling it inside, come back out in 45 minutes, in the, in the next 45 minutes, and I'll bring you home. If you are feeling it, Stay in and I'll leave in 45 minutes and you get a taxi home. Okay. That was fine. She stayed in. She was having a great night. I went home, watched uh, Dublin City on St. Patrick's Night unfold before my eyes. Very pretty stuff altogether. <laughs> i say that. And drove home 45 minutes later and got to, got to Claire and Kevin's house where we were staying. And uh, first of all, I got to the, they have an electric gate going into their house. And I didn't have the code. <laughs> so I had to park the car outside the outside the house. They were asleep, like this was 11 o'clock at night. I had to hop the gate. <laughs> I, to, I, I hope there wasn't neighbours looking. Who's this fella? But I had to hop the gate first of all, because I couldn't ring them for the code. And then second of all, I got to their door and what they had this little key box outside yeah. the door where the keys were. And it's got this little... Um, this code on it, four digit code, but it's not digital. It's one of these old, like you might see in a bike padlock where you have to turn the four dials yeah, sure. to get the four digit code. Now I knew this code, thankfully, but it was dark. <laughs> and usually you just t- take out your phone and shine the light, shine the light yeah. on it. But I couldn't see, I could not see. So eventually I had to find <sighs> one angle where I crouched down below the, the four digit dial and the light from a star was just was, <laughs> Come was around. a street sorry, we're in Dublin, not a, a star, a street light. It must have been, but there was some angle whereby there was the tiniest bit of light that shone on these four digits. I so I had to quickly turn on. You couldn't even tell if, if it was on six. You couldn't tell immediately if it had gone to five or to seven. So you had to wait to figure out what way you were turning the <laughs> dial. Then eventually get the four dials. So I was I was fifteen minutes turning this dial to get the key box. Yeah. But apart from that... Meanwhile, there's a neighbour looking at you through a window or something. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Man breaking into the fucking this house just well trying lighting. to crack the yeah. little <laughs> Yeah. But I must say that was that was all I really missed my phone for. Yeah, I I was excited about your one in the sense that I thought it was very creative. Uh because I think if we said to any of our listeners, okay, put down your phone now for two days, um, yeah, anyone would find it tough. Well, anyone who's addicted to their phone, or not addicted, but uses it for their, their whole life. But in classic Kieran Quinn form, yours was timed and uh, planned perfectly mm-hmm. for the perfect weekend with the least amount of damage. So, like, yeah. I mean, it's like the Kieran Quinn or version. Are we, are we going picking holes in it now? Yeah. Pick holes in it now? Yeah. Brilliant, you finish, and then I've got a few. Go on. Uh, well, I was just going to say that the weekend was, was what made it not difficult. Yeah. So, like, I mean... It, It'd I, be harder to do it on a weekend at home, a regular weekend. At yeah, home. for sure. Do you know what else made it not difficult? What? Probably the hundred texts he sent to various people saying, listen, this weekend you can text me on my wife's phone. <laughs> I didn't get that text now because that huh? that happened, yeah. No, if there was a hundred no, lads, of course, I, he of course we didn't get it because he wants to make the thing look oh, difficult. Oh, this is your speculation. This is my speculation. Kieran did I'd that. I say your we wife's could... phone did not leave your hand that whole weekend. We can speculate away, lads. But you were in Sligo and you don't know what happened. Yeah, that's true. But that's no, true. Look, we'll have I, to take I'll, you I'll at face value. Word, I'll give you my word. No, it was it was a it was, and uh, yeah. And so I tried. I tried last. Didn't didn't work at all last weekend. But I said maybe on a Sunday from now on. I'll, I'll leave the phone down for the day. Oh yeah, no phone yeah. Sunday. Yeah, see, this it was it was a lovely experience, and the world kept turning. You know, I I came back and there was text messages and there was emails, but you know, nothing that nothing that couldn't wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I anyway, it didn't work last Sunday, but next Sunday I'm going to go for a, a no phone Sunday and see how I get on. Good. So thanks, Rory, for inspiring this. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Isn't it funny that we still call them phones? Yeah, when they do everything else. Because, like, there's, I've, I don't know if you've ever seen that picture that knocks around on social media from time to time, but it's like, it's a picture of an iPhone or something in the middle of, and it's surrounded by, uh, like, a Walkman, a fax machine, a computer, um, a, a bank card, a camera, a torch, and then all these things that we we had all these separate devices for and now they're all just this one thing and it's so much more than a phone yet of all the devices that have been amalgamated into this we still call it phone yeah I do you know I I thought about this actually I was actually thinking about this just after uh, Karen said that he was going to leave his phone and I was thinking okay there is so much stuff on your phone that you use Uh, and then I was thinking isn't it such a even though they can be so damaging for, and they have their negative side, but isn't it such a a triumph of human innovation that you can get so much processing and useful power and tools into something that fits in your pocket and you barely even know that it's there? Like I think it's mm. the phones are amazing. So I get I guess that's because they're so amazing makes them so useful and we forget how to do everything else. So like, you know, but, but the problem is when you rely on them or not rely, but you you, you you use them or you find it taking away from your everyday life. Yes. Using yes. it out of habit as opposed to like rather than aiding your life. Yeah. It's it's subtracting from your life. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's for what I sure. want to get away from or to seek what I get away from. So, yeah. Well, well done. Yeah, Fair you, play. You did your challenge. Yeah. Uh, Luke, um, you, I don't know what you did. Yes, so that's an immediate hold to pick story. <laughs> like Luke, you know, I told I told you what I was doing. Michal told you. Yeah. Uh, you went off and did your own thing and documented it so we can all see. Luke, I mean, what is your, ch- like, what is this? Well, as <laughs> as you know, I would be very fond of uh, challenging myself with un- uncomfortable situations. Uh, I do that all the time. Do you? Yeah. Uh, do <laughs> um, so, I have so to be honest and say... So you basically went off for the month and... 
went about your daily life and said, right, I'm just going to, I'll get to the podcast recording and I'll just look back and see was there anything that was vaguely challenging. And I'll tell Roy that was my challenge. That's basically what's happening here. Well, yeah. that's, that's, that's exactly what's happening here, yeah. Come on. I didn't uh, consciously uh, go after any kind of a challenge at all. Um, though I have done um, two things this month. Uh, one was kind of just of a day and the other one was more of a protracted thing. Uh, but uh, so I went surfing this month, well done. which is something that I would not be ever uh, inclined to do. Yeah, as you both well know. How'd you find it? Uh, I had a great time. Yeah, I had a blast. Good. I, I had an absolute blast. Uh, it was the day after St Patrick's Day, so I had an absolutely <laughs> massive hangover. There's no better way to get rid of a hangover than getting in the sea. That's why I was excited about it, and I think on a day where I wasn't hungover, I would have been a lot more uh, trepidatious about going and doing it but I, I, I felt so shy when I woke up <laughs> that I went right brilliant let's go and do this I can't this can't possibly make me feel any worse it yeah. can only make me feel better certainly so I went surfing for two hours and um, uh, actually did not find the water cold at all uh, I was happy out had a great old time we went for a bit of food afterwards and afterwards I felt great did uh, you do a lesson did a lesson. Go on, give out. Was it was it was it a good lesson? Did you Great enjoy lesson. it? Okay. Well, I've I've surfed a little bit before. They used to take us surfing once a week for PE when I was in TY in school. Uh, PE, yeah, surfing, huh? Give a shout out to your surf instructor at school if you can. There, uh, you remember their names? It was just to surf school, and it was um, what was his name? I think his name was Kevin. Kevin McGowan, Shamey McGowan's son. Shamey McGowan oh, yeah. is a musician that both Kieran and I would know well. And I'm sure you know of Shamey as well. Yes. Um. Uh, From the Strand Hill Surf School there Yeah yeah, Very good yeah Okay Crack so what was your other non-challenge So the other non-challenge <laughs> Was uh, <laughs> um, I came I got to, up 20 minutes earlier than usual <laughs> and I came to a realisation At the end of last month in particular That I was really unhappy With my work-life balance Oh yeah See this is more like it like, Really in. really really unhappy With my work-life balance And it was something that it was a realisation I came to in the midst of kind of looking at a few other things and things that have changed in my life uh, recently. But I just, I realised that I have no time. I had no time to do things that I wanted to do or do nothing. Yes. To have a day off or I was filling every possible slot of time with something. Uh, work or and even if it was some, something like doing a play it's not work but I approach it like work and it feels like work yeah. you know um, so I I set about fixing that and, and, and well starting to fix it it'll take a while but I've done a few things I've ring fenced Monday and Tuesday from April on as days off um, oh very good and Monday and Tuesday Monday and Tuesday I do that too day that's off. catching on yeah. It's a great job. Um, and uh, there would have been times before where someone would bring me and say, oh, I need to get into the studio on Monday is the only day that suits me because that's my day off. And I go, oh yeah, no bother. Yeah. Knowing full well that I love having Monday off too. Yeah. So I've just, yeah, I got uh, a second number and I've got two user profiles on my phone that you can log in and out of like a computer. So yeah. I can totally switch off from uh, work and I can still be contacted by friends and family and stuff and that separation how did you feel when you came back from Dublin Kieran and you had whatever emails had accumulated over the weekend uh, 
did you find that you just yeah worked through them and whatever bits of work had to be done you just worked through it yeah and it's it's not a it's not a it's not a challenge it's not any worse because you've let them accumulate for a day or two is it no 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 no, no. no. absolutely not and that's that's one of the big things that i found from doing this was that um, before all of my personal and all of my work communication was mixed in on one phone and you could somebody for personal or work could be getting you on WhatsApp or Messenger or Instagram or an email or through the website or a normal text or a phone call and you're looking at what's personal and what's work and they're all just mixed in together and it becomes really fucking intimidating and confusing to actually keep track of what's what. So now when I have a day off where I have the phone off work mode, I find it so easy switch and just work through all the work emails and stuff because I'm looking at them all on their own mm. and I get through them in about a half an hour mm. whereas before it might have taken me maybe two hours to do that same admin okay I, so I, yeah. I'm, I, I'm willing to grant Luke a pass on this Rory no I'm not I, I'm happy for him but he yeah, just didn't well, do the challenge this, this is important stuff do you know and I think I, okay. even though it's not a challenge yeah, so so some so part of the reason to ask you to do difficult things was to learn something. Mm. Uh, so I mean, you get like half a point because I done the challenge in reverse. You see, yeah. you, <laughs> you asked us to challenge ourselves by doing something uncomfortable. Yeah, I recognised that something was making me uncomfortable, and I challenged myself to fix it. Yeah, okay, fair enough, half a point. But it does mean that on the next challenge. I you have to have to document it. But we're not okay. giving you another pass. Uh, as for mine, lads, I'm not going to go uh, much into this because I documented mine start to finish, and I want the. Oh, well done, Rory! Uh, Aren't I, you great? <laughs> got a little gold star. And, Get uh, your blue Peter badge. Documented it start to finish. I made a ten minute piece. What? Based <laughs> based on uh, my challenge. So I'm going to, in in, a, in an effort to entice people to watch the video that I spent hours making, I'm going to explain what the challenge was, but I'm not going to tell them how I got on because hopefully you'll go and watch the video and you'll see how I got on, right? Right. So and where can people watch the video? Huh? Where can people watch the video? We're going to put it up on In The Lamplight uh, socials. Um... We still have a YouTube page. Yeah, yeah. Onto our YouTube page. Okay, uh, And uh, so you'll get that in the next month. Uh, you, If you follow In The Lamplight, uh, you'll see that video go up. Actually, pretty shortly after this podcast goes out, so keep an eye. But myself, so I did a team challenge. Uh, so I have a mate who likes to do difficult things, as do I. And we did a a, t- a a challenge together because we hadn't done a difficult thing together in a long time. And I says, great, this is a great opportunity to kill two birds with the one stone. So I went over to his house for a cup of tea. I explained what I had said on the podcast. He says, yeah, no bother. We can, we can jimmy up something for that. So a true conversation, we came up with the idea of a challenge we invented called the Everest Challenge. <laughs> oh, God. <I> know. <laughs> and so the Everest Challenge <clears throat> was to signify... Climbing from base camp to the summit of Everest. So we did a we did a quick Google search. Um, I don't need to be fact checked on this. It was quick. Uh, there's a couple of different answers to this, but the answer we chose was that from base camp to the summit of Everest, uh, uh, passing the South Coal is twenty point five kilometers. So there's your distance, and we decided to do a couple of events to travel that distance. So first we ran for five kilometers. The second part of the challenge was to team carry a 20kg pack for another 5 kilometers. Then the next part of the challenge was to farmers walk carrying 50kg 
for five kilometers. Then the next part of the challenge was to flip a tractor tire for five kilometers. And then to signify getting... What do you mean, and then? So so now we have 20 kilometers. If people were counting, that's four challenges of five kilometers each, which is 20 kilometers. And then there was a 0.5 at the end. And I said, Shane, what can we do for 0.5? And he said, well, I have an ice bath out the back. So why don't we do five minutes in the ice bath at the very end? And that should signify being on top of Everest. We've made it to the top of Everest. So I'm not going to tell you how we got on. Because it, was, uh, it was a tricky one for sure. Wow, man. But uh, go and watch the video and you'll, you'll find out. Right. I see what's happened here. I see exactly what's happened here. What's happened here? Like? Rory set us that challenge <laughs> last month because he already had all this planned and he wanted you and I to go and do dinky little oh, I need no phones for the weekend challenges. <laughs> and I mean, I didn't even do a feckin' challenge, but I mean, we all knew that was going to happen. But you set us this challenge just so you could come back in here this month and go, I made a 10-minute documentary piece and I did all these really <laughs> impressive and, and physically grueling tasks. I, I Why didn't you just go Going back and climb Everest. I know. Okay, hear, hear me out. Hear me out. I am constantly shiting on on this podcast about doing things like walking Sligo ways and running marathon. And I'm con- so I thought. So I felt an immense amount of self-inflicted peer pressure to do something very difficult. But I'm look. I'm glad. Like it, it, it's it, it's the whole ethos behind the challenge in the first place. You you do something difficult and you learn something. And I learned an awful lot. So, I'm not saying any more. Watch giving the video. Out, not giving up any more of the cheese. That's enough free cheese for you. Go and watch the video. It'll be live on our socials soon. And uh, get in contact. Tell us what you thought. And if you have done your challenge and haven't sent it in to us, send in your challenge. Um, if you've documented it, get it into In The Lamplight and hopefully we'll be able to talk about your difficult tasks uh, next week. Mm-hmm. Or next, mm-hmm. sorry. Next month. <laughs> Rory, what you got for this month's recommendation? If your life is feeling grey, like a dull and cloudy day, we can chase your blues away. Rory recommends you something to defend you. From the boredom that offends you. Also fix your hairdo. It's Rory Recommends. So as I said at the top of the um, as I said at the top of the show, did I say it at the top of the show or the top of this half? But that we had received uh, an awful lot of uh, far more correspondence than usual for that last task. So yes. it did make me think. Well, let's stay in this vein, you know, in this personal growth, personal Luke's delighted with this personal challenge, <laughs> Another challenge for you, Luke. Uh, vein. And so this again is for the listeners, and this is for us. And again, bonus points for creativity. But we tried the hard thing, right? Okay? People didn't really enjoy it. We will come back to it again, uh, or I'll, uh, you know, I'll challenge you to something specific, or I'll challenge the listeners to something specific, but I want to leave another broad one open. So, Rory recommends this month is to spread a little love, to do something kind... And get for, down tonight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. To do something kind for somebody and document it. Oh. So to pick somebody. 
somebody important, somebody not important to you, so a stranger, a loved one, whoever, it's up to you. And think of something kind that you can do for them in this month. And, okay, I get, so it annoys me when you see YouTubers with a stack of 100 euro bills handed to a homeless to say, person. We're opening a can of worms for a debate here about this. So I don't like that. I hate it. But you're taking your license to document it from me. You're So you're not doing, it's not supposed to be like, oh, on a spur of a whim, I just took out a grand and gave it to a homeless person. It's not that. I, but I filmed it and put it up on YouTube. It's not that. Cut me on the back kind of thing. We're doing it as a group, us lamplighters. We're, we're doing it as a kind of spread the love, the spread, spread the kindness group. And the only way we can see the impact we've had is if people document what they've done. Okay, so it is a different vein. And I understand because I hate, I hate that aspect of YouTube myself. Mm-hmm. So that's your challenge this week, uh, or this month, lads. Uh, and that goes for me, Hall, too. Uh, same rules as the last time. If you want me to document it, I will document it. If not, I, I won't. You can do it yourself. But, Luke, especially, are you listening to me now? <laughs> I have a mild ringing in my ear. <laughs> are you listening now, Luke? Listen up. By this time next month. <laughs> and I want to know about it beforehand. <laughs> All right. Uh, Done. Great. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm going to be very kind to you all because this has been a long episode. I'm going to bring it to a close right now. (laughs) One more thing first, though. I am delighted to announce the return of the In the Lamplight house band. Folks, you're about to hear the voice of Murph, a.k.a. Kieran Murphy, John and Paul Murphy's younger brother, telling the listeners of the Second Captain's podcast about the musical influences in the Murphy household growing up. Uh, as is often the case when you're the youngest of uh, four siblings, you do kind of just take on the musical tastes of your older brothers or sisters. Mm-hmm. That was very much the case in the Murphy household. Although, actually, I can't remember which one of the Murphy brothers actually brought What's Going On, uh, Marvin Gaye's seminal 1971 album, into the house. But from that moment on, I was hooked. <laughs> So here we are, folks, especially for the Murphys and for all you fantastic listeners, the return of the In The Lamplight house band with some Marvin Gaye for you all today. Thanks for listening. Oh
to live nearby. Uh, 